the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. By God's grace and mercy, we have ascended four weeks of Lent, with two more to go until Great and Holy Week. We ascended a ladder, as it were, and thus the Church gives us this Sunday each year, each Lent, the fourth Sunday as you look at the icon, which is the icon of the ladder. Today we commemorate St. John Climacus, or St. John of the Ladder. His surname, Climacus, means of the ladder, because the book that he wrote, The Ladder of Divine Ascent, which we have in the bookstore if you'd like to read, is a profound and enduring spiritual treatise. It is within our church one of these books that is up near the Bible. Of course, the Bible is at the top, but it's up near there. And in this, which St. John wrote for his fellow monks, it was actually 30 homilies he gave to his fellow monks, and he was asked to give it by another abbot to, to share it, and so he shared it with them, and that's the way that this spread all around. But St. John himself, he was a hermit for about 30 years in the desert near Sinai, Mount Sinai, in the 6th century. And he lived as a hermit for many years, and then eventually he was asked to be the abbot of the famous monastery on Mount Sinai, the monastery we know as St. Catherine's Monastery. And so he was the abbot of the monastery there, and it was during this time that he wrote the Ladder of Divine Ascent. So today I'd like to talk about one of the steps on the rung of the ladder, and it's one that we all love to talk about, fasting. Fasting. Something that's very much on our minds these days. And it is something that we talk perhaps a little bit too much about, maybe think a little bit too much about. So it's worthwhile now that we've spent a few weeks going into the fast to sort of re reframe our look at fasting, our understanding of fasting. It's step 14 in the Ladder of Divine Ascent, and he says that step is called On That Clamorous Mistress, the Stomach. This is how St. John describes our body, our stomach. That clamorous mistress, or that clamorous lover, you could say. Clamorous is both loud and demanding. It's what you think of like at a riot. Very loud, very demanding. This is how he describes our stomach. And yet, this lover, this one that tries to pull you into something. So very harsh words. <laughs> but what he gets at is that this is something that all of us struggle with. All of us struggle with. St. Anthony himself, when he was asked for what I think is perhaps the most succinct advice about the spiritual life, someone said to him, what ought I do? And St. Anthony said, don't put any trust in your righteousness, do not worry about the past, and keep a tight rein on your tongue and your belly. That's all we need, right there. It is so difficult for us to keep a tight rein on our tongue and especially on our belly. St. John even said in the Ladder of Divine Ascent, as he begins this section, he says, as we are about to speak concerning the stomach, as in everything else, 
we propose to philosophize against ourselves. For I wonder if anyone has ever been liberated of this mistress before settling in the grave. A saint of the church is talking this way. So the good news of that is we're not alone in this. This is a struggle that we all face. It's something that we each face in our different ways, in our different patterns. But we each struggle with this. So before we talk about fasting, we can't really understand talking about fasting unless we understand why do we eat? That's a very basic question, I know. But why do we eat? I eat because I get hungry and because there are things that taste good. And so I pursue those things that taste good. I spend time when I'm hungry and not able to eat thinking about the things that I'm going to eat. I think about what I like and prefer. I think about what I don't like and don't prefer. I plan out meals in my head. I go to lunch and I go, what kind of food do I feel like today? Which restaurant do I want to go to? What dish on the menu do I want to pick? This is how I eat. This is why I eat. But it's not why we eat. It's not at the root of it. At the root of it, we have to think about why was eating given to us? Because there's so many givens in life. We're human beings, we have certain bodies, we live in a certain creation. So we don't actually think that none of this had to happen or had to be. So why did God give it to us to eat? So that we could nourish our body. We know this. So that we could nourish our body. That's the only reason that we have for eating. But you see, God is not a minimalist. God is an overabundant God with lots of love. And so he gives us gifts for no reason. One of those gifts that he gave us was our taste buds. We could try to explain why we need our taste buds, but we don't really need our taste buds. It's a gift, just a gift from God. So he gives us this wonderful gift, and we, in our humanness, and being heirs of Adam, we, we turn that and we distort that. And so everything gets turned around so that eating becomes so much more about my taste buds, which were just given sort of like whipped cream on the top, just extra. You need to nourish your body, and oh, I'm giving you this beautiful gift that you can actually enjoy the food that you're eating. And instead, we make the enjoyment of the food the first thing, and the nourishment of the body, well, that needs to happen too, so I'll do that as well. At least I speak for myself. So if we understand why we eat, and that this gift of taste buds is just something that God gave us out of his love, we need to learn to reorder things, to have the nourishing of our body be the first focus of it, and that our taste buds, you know, they're there, and we enjoy it, we enjoy the food, but everything is towards God. Because what has happened for us, again, I speak for myself, is that we have become enslaved to our stomach. And I think it's common enough that that's why St. John was talking about it. We become enslaved to the desires of our stomach. So God, in his love, he gave us taste buds, but also then in his love, he gave us fasting. In his love, he gave us fasting because he wants us healed. He wants us to enjoy the taste buds that he's given us in the right way, in the right order, 
and to nourish our body in the right way. So this gets to that question of why we fast. We have many reasons that we fast. Many of them are built out of obligation or necessity, or this is something that we're supposed to do to be good Orthodox Christians. It's time for the fast. We need to fast. God gives us many examples of fasting. If we look in the Old Testament, how when people repented, that's how they repented, is with fasting. How in the Garden of Eden, God was trying, trying to give Adam and Eve a full and blessed life. And so he said to them, don't eat from this tree, the first fast. Don't eat from this tree. But they did. And we still now, to this day, we have fasting. Our Lord, who did not need to fast, what did he do right after he was baptized? Forty days in the desert, fasting. And in this, he shows us that, that fasting is so essential to what it means to be a human being. Why? Because I talked about sort of the taste buds and the stomach and the nourishing of the body, but ultimately what it's about is putting our soul as the driver and not our body as the driver of our actions. Putting our noose more specifically. That God-given capacity for seeking God. Make that the thing that drives everything of our actions. And so our bodies instead drive that and we go off. We go off. So fasting for many of us, again I speak for myself, has a big piece of obligation to it. This is what I'm supposed to do. This is what the church tells me I need to do. And so I kind of hold my breath and get through the fasting. St. John had something to say about that. He was describing me again here. He says, A monk who is a glutton counts beforehand the days till Pascha, and he prepares the food for it several days in advance. The slave of his belly calculates with what dishes he will celebrate the feast. But the servant of God considers with what spiritual gifts he may be enriched. My brothers and sisters, we need to re-understand fasting. We need to, desperately. Because as we see in the Gospel reading, this kind of demon only comes out by those two important things, prayer and fasting. We could throw the third one in there, which is almsgiving. And quite frankly, we all understand what almsgiving is. We all understand how to help those in need. We all have some sense that we should pray. There's some obligation there. But then when it gets to fasting, again, for me, so much of it is it about obligation. The thing that I'm supposed to do because God told me to. So why do we fast? We fast, first and foremost, to have our true selves revealed to us. Number one, first and foremost, I can't see myself unless I'm fasting. Is that a very different way to understand it? How is this true? Because when I fast, I see how enslaved I actually am. And when I'm not fasting, I can go on blissfully unaware of my enslavement. Eat what I want, when I want, how I want. And then the church gives us this time of fasting, whether it's on the Wednesdays and the Fridays or this great season of Great Lent. And now I start to see how chained down I am, how completely enslaved I am to my belly, because 
The church gives me a couple of things that I shouldn't eat, a little more than a couple. And I say to myself, this is impossible. This is impossible. I can't do this. Or here's why I can't, or here's what I need to do, or oh, this is right here in front of me, I might as well. So first and foremost, I can see myself when I fast. Begin to see myself. Second, the reason we fast is for healing. Once we see ourselves, then we can begin the process of healing. You can't heal a cancer that you don't know exists. And so fasting is like that MRI or the CAT scan or whatever image you want to use. It's the way in which we can see ourselves and then seek from God the healing. And the healing itself actually comes through the fasting. Fasting itself does this. If we fast rightly, we begin to restrain our belly, like St. Anthony said so descriptively, keeping a tight rein. If you think of it like a wild horse that you're riding and you're trying to pull the reins back, this is what fasting does. Fasting heals us. Fasting also brings us closer to God because as we see ourselves, as we begin to be healed, then we are more able to commune with God. I have a hard time communing with God when my stomach is going, you need some food right now. I have a hard time communing with God when I'm walking through the kitchen grabbing this or grabbing that. I have a hard time communing with God when I'm deciding where I'd like to go for lunch. All of these are ways in which we are enslaved. Because I'll give you the simple litmus test, and I've given this before. If you think you're not enslaved in any way to your stomach, and I don't know how many of us actually think that way, just imagine eating the same perfect, wonderful, and healthy meal. Imagine whatever that meal is, good for your body and tasty, and eat that for the rest of your life. All of us would revolt. But I'll say, no, thank you. But I would say, well, you thought of the meal. You decided what you were going to eat as this perfect meal that's delicious and good for you. Just eat it for the rest of your life. Because we want diversity, we want different tastes, all of these things. So fasting, it helps us to see ourselves. It helps us to be healed. It brings us closer to God. And then here's the other thing. It brings us closer to the people around us. Because fasting, if you read anything of the church, St. John Climacus or any of the writings of the saints, fasting doesn't just, is not just about the stomach. When we are able to restrain this thing that is so unrestrained, other aspects of our life, other passions begin to be weakened. One of the strongest connections that he makes, actually, and he's not alone in this, is with the passion of pornea passion of however you want to describe it, sexual desires, fornication, whatever it is. And we might at first blush say, well, those don't connect. And yet they do. Because our body is not these little component parts. Our body is one. And as our body becomes restrained by God's grace and through this ascetical endeavor, then other aspects also become restrained. He said someone who wants to fight against fornication but doesn't fast, doesn't fight against their belly, he said it's like someone trying to put out a fire with oil. And this is something that is a great plague upon our society in this day and age. So 
I say to you, for any of you who struggle with that particular passion, fasting is the way. Fasting is the way. So fasting draws us close to all the people around us. Why? Because the passions, the anger, whatever the passions are that we struggle against, all of those become weakened when our body becomes weakened through fasting. It's a profound thing that happens in fasting. So I've talked all these different things about the great things of fasting. But fundamentally, we have to see it as a gift from God. And this is the hardest part, because we see it as a rule from God, an obligation from God. But it's a gift. And the reason that it is a gift is because in this way, we can see ourselves. In this way, we can be healed. In this way, we can have greater communion with God. In this way, we can come closer to the people around us who we love. Is this not a blessed thing? I know I say that tongue-in-cheek, because it's very difficult. It is very, very difficult to fast. But at least, if you have the right mindset, the right aim, as I've described, then at least you're on the right path. At least you're on the right path with the fasting. It doesn't make it necessarily easier, but at least you're aiming in the right direction. Because God does not want obedient slaves. God wants people who are healed and filled with him. May this be our aim. Amen. Let us